What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, May 10th. We are very sorry that we haven't posted an episode in a week. It has been a week since we've posted. We posted last Tuesday, and we promised you guys an episode on Sunday or Saturday or one of those days talking about the Kentucky Derby and Formula One. But we pushed that back to today um, because we just didn't have time to do it over the weekend. We had um, we had some fun time with family and we didn't get to it. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm back in Richmond now pretty much for good for the whole summer. So that's that's um, good to good to be back there. But Matt is actually he's in, he's in his new apartment. Matt, tell us about that. Yeah, it's really good. Definitely um, better than the old place in which I was ended up as Tiny Tim rubbing my my hands together as if they were chestnuts roasting on an open fire. What are we doing here, people? Um, yeah, it's it's it feels lively in here. It's in a it's in a better. Well, it's actually way further away from my job. So I'm driving like four <laughs> hours a day right now uh, round trip, which kind of sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a very nice place. It's decorated. It's I actually have stuff now because really the really the, the, the theme was I graduated college. I got a job in a place that I didn't really know very well. But then, you know, I'm getting married soon and we didn't know when that was going to happen. Now it's happening. But then both of us still have, you know, our jobs in our respective places. But then I'm moving my job. There's a ton of stuff going on. So we were like, you know what? We're just going to live straight smack in the middle of Virginia uh, in Fredericksburg. So that's that's where I'm stationed right now. Going to be a lot of I'm driving north right now in a couple months. I'm going to be driving south every day. So it's. It's all it's all crazy, but but the point is is that I'm still here, and obviously I like this apartment because I can actually control the temperature inside, which is yes. welcome to the new world, welcome to the 20th century, more like welcome to you know ever since like a hundred years ago. But whatever, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yes. Yeah, so today's episode is going to be focused on the Kentucky Derby and Formula One, which were two events which transpired over the weekend. In addition to, as I mentioned on last week's podcast. A multitude of other sports. I mean, it was a crazy week for sports, especially this past weekend. But I think that because we had kind of a a perfect storm of so many sports, a lot of the sports, however, were mainly stuff that we cover a lot. Right. It was it was it was hockey. It was basketball. It was golf. There was also some baseball, um, some UFC. And so, you know. The Kentucky Derby only comes once a year and the F1 races, obviously now there's more, but there's only for the past 10 years, basically, there's only been one in the US every year. Um, so now that the sport has gotten more popular, obviously me and Hayden have been into it for a while. That's why we're going to talk about it here as well. And then the Kentucky Derby was probably, you know, had one of the greatest finishes that, that we've seen in recent memory. And so why not? You know, so I think that that's kind of it's it's more of a it's more of a, you know, I guess more of a, a weird topic or two topics for this podcast. But the point is, you know, there was some crazy stuff that happened in sports. And, and as Hayden mentioned at the start, you know, we're here to talk about all the sports. And, and obviously, you know, we'll continue on with, with the NHL and NBA playoffs as we have been. But good to take a little bit of a sidebar here and, and get you guys up to date on some sports and information that you may not be totally into right now. But just so just so that you can learn and know, because that's what we're all here to do, to, to do. That's exactly right. And Matt mentioned the NHL and NBA playoffs there. We are going to definitely continue that on Saturday or our weekend episode this week. Um, But we might get into it a little bit, kind of what transpired this past weekend and kind of where our picks are at. 
in terms of both of those sports playoffs um, pictures, I guess, right now. We might do that a little bit today at the end, but we're definitely going to get into Kentucky Derby first and then Formula One second. And then if we have a little bit of time at the end, we might kind of go over those those playoffs there. But that being said, let's get into the Kentucky Derby right now. So this was uh, this, this, this was a rare year to begin with. Right. So the shortest odds to win were four to one. And that was uh that was epicenter who was basically favored to win. And usually there's pretty much one definitive favorite and they're like pretty, they have pretty really good odds. And then the next, uh, the next best horse is kind of like 10 to one or in the teens or something like that. But this year I think we had four to one and I think we had a six to one and then maybe even another single digit to one odds, um, which was pretty rare. So it was, it was, it was a close playing field to begin with. But then it didn't end up mattering in the long run because Rich Strike, eight, 80 to one odds came through and um, passed everybody on basically the last straightaway and won the Kentucky Derby. Epicenter did come in second. So, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of value there. Um, he would have won if uh, Rich Strike didn't just beat all odds and, and come back and win. Um, but Matt actually has some pre-race pre-race hype to go through here that he's going to give you guys just to kind of give some background on the race this year um rather than just going and talking about how good rich strike was this year let's let's get some pre pre-race hype um that was that we had leading up until this race yeah and and hayden mentioned at the beginning we were actually going to do a podcast on sunday morning to kind of broadcast out obviously that would be before the f1 race but we would have we were going to do the exact same topics obviously as he mentioned there was you know the little scheduling snafu we didn't really have too much time and so what i was kind of going to do is and i didn't know when we're going to kind of do this podcast but i took in a lot of a lot of kentucky derby content last week because i am again, a span of all sports. And so when it comes to something like the Kentucky Derby, I'm not into horse racing normally. I get into it for a couple weeks because you have the Kentucky Derby, which was this past Saturday. You have the Preakness, which is in two weeks, and you have the Belmont Stakes, which is a couple weeks after that, right? So I get into it for that. But besides that, I'm not into it. And so what I do is I, you know, read and and listen to as much as stuff as I possibly can in order to learn about what's going on in the sport. And then obviously gain some betting insights as well, because that's what we're all here to do. Right. So obviously the entire week, right. The talk is about who was actually going to win this horse race because nobody really knew. And and clearly nobody knew up until the very end of it, because who knew, you know, the horse that was going to win, but I will even, I will go even deeper into how, crazy it was that Rich Strike actually even participated in the race, much less won it and beat all the other horses that competed. So obviously Hayden mentioned you had Epicenter and you had um, Zandon, who were the two favorites. Okay. So going in and normally the way that horse racing works is essentially you have, you have, there's different classes of races and I'm not going to go even too deep into this, but it's basically, if you think about, uh, you know, a baseball, right. Or, or, or the NBA, right. So baseball has like triple a, double a single a, the, the NBA has the G league and, and the, and the D league, I think is, is the, is the lower one there. So it's kind of like, you have that same type of league status in horse racing. Um, the only difference is there's a ton of horses and most of them are only participating in one type of race. And so you have, I, there's the bottom, I don't even know what the bottom one is. The, the second highest is called claiming races. 
And then the third highest is called stakes races. And the stakes races are, are really the ones that the horses who compete in the Tucky, Kentucky Derby, those are the types of races that they're competing in. Obviously, they're the best thoroughbred horse, you know, horse racing horses uh, in the world. And so they're competing in the stakes races as basically the top level of horse racing. And, and you qualify for the Kentucky Derby, you do the Preakness, all that other stuff, right? So, and that will obviously then make up the, the Triple Crown. So that's kind of the, the, the background on how these horses get to be in this race in the first place. Now, obviously, once you get into the race, and just to kind of start off here, surface level, there's 20 horses that are entered in the Kentucky Derby each year, which is actually like the biggest horse race in, in the world. So, so you have all these other crazy, and, and you know, it, it's going on worldwide all the time. It's like one of those, one of those sports that you don't think about, but it's actually just always happening. And so there's always horse races like worldwide, all times of day. And so you think about how many, you know, horse races are going on every day and all around the world and whatever to narrow it down to 20 is crazy. But honestly, because all these other races and leagues and whatever are so small, so much smaller, you honestly end up with a lot of, you know, a lot less horses competing in them to begin with. And so the Kentucky Derby is like the biggest race. It has the most horses. And that's what makes it the most exciting because you have random things that can happen you have horses that nobody's really thought about that that you know that end up doing well and and you know breeders and trainers who you know prepare these horses for years and, and they can either may, be made famous or or you know or or never have their name heard by the light of day again um and so that's kind of why the Kentucky Derby is such a big deal is because it's basically just the tip top of of everything that is horse racing and so Obviously, once you have these 20 horses entered in the race, you're going to be able to kind of tell who, you know, what horses have been doing well, what have been doing, you know, not as well, and kind of get your best guesses in on who's going to win. All right. And so for horses like Epicenter, who was the favorite, Zandon was the second favorite. These are horses who have competed in stakes races and done very well, right? So they've won every race that they've competed in. Now, they're also only two, two years old or three years old. So that's kind of the crazy part. It's like these horses are basically like children yeah. when they're competing in the Kentucky Derby. That's obviously like when they're at their peak, like athleticism, speed, everything. And that's just kind of how the horse racing industry works. And so because they're so young, there's only so many chances for them to even compete in a race to begin with. And so a lot of these horses have, have really only competed in like anywhere between like three to six races in their entire life before the Kentucky Derby. But obviously, as I said, there's so many horses out there and there's so many races going on all the time. You're going to know who the best horses are because it's the ones that basically win all the, you know, all the races that they enter. And so you kind of, you, you kind of have a good gauge on like, based on certain races and based on certain tournaments that they've previously held or, or, or run in and their finishes in those races, you can kind of tell what horses are going to be good, right? So Epicenter, hey, you know, it was, was the favorite and, and will be the favorite for the Preakness and will probably win the Preakness coming up in a couple of weeks here. Epicenter won all three of the races that it had, that it had entered coming into the Kentucky Derby. And it had it had basically just smoked all the other horses that they that it had raced against, and so that's why people are saying, well, you know, given that the other outcomes here are horses that we don't really hear about, that you know, I couldn't even name, that were entered in the Kentucky Derby, that have were you know the best horses in the entire world, but haven't won their kind of races leading up, they may not have you know as much 
they won't win basically, or they won't have as much win equity as, as a horse that has won all of its competing races up until that day. So here's where we get to rich strike. All right. Rich strike was in a claiming race. The last time that it, that, that the horse raced at all was a claiming race. Now, again, this is essentially like being in like double a for baseball. So basically it's like baseball is like double a, then single a, then the professional leagues. Okay. So this is like two levels below the professional league of, you know, what rich strike was, was racing in. And so nobody, you know, nobody even had any information on it because it was like, who's going to actually, you know, really get this horse to even do anything right now, the owners of the horse are the, are the, they're the people who buy the horse and then there's trainers as well. So the trainers kind of, you know, obviously they train the horse to run well and perform well, whatever the owners are the people who buy it. Now the owners of rich strike had never even competed in a stakes race before, which means that, you know, this, this highest level of racing, they never competed in one. And now they're in the Kentucky Derby. Like what the trainer who's the, you know, the, the guy that obviously, you know, trains the horse, makes them perform well. He'd only competed in one stakes race before. Now there are trainers and owners in the Kentucky Derby who had horses run in this Kentucky Derby who have participated in hundreds and hundreds of stakes races. Right? So, not only are you saying that you're going up against the best of the best because you're in the Kentucky Derby, but you're also going up against the best of the best who have won at the highest level. And Rich Strike wasn't even at the highest level, much less having been participated in there and won. Okay. Now you're asking like, what in the world, Matt, all these other horses, they're the best in the world. Okay. I get it. They've won all the races. Cool. How did Rich Strike even end up here? Well, I'll tell you, 20 horses are entered in the race. 20 horses are drawn to a post but that doesn't mean that all 20 horses are going to race because obviously, as we know, there's injuries that happen. There's weather, there's it, all this other stuff, travel, right. That, that, that can impede a horse from participating in the race. And so that's what we ended up with was the, the 20th horse to enter the race was, ba- it, they call it a scratch when, when they don't race. And I, it, forgive me, I don't know exactly what reason uh, or what the reason was why that horse didn't race, but then it basically had to be substituted for. And guess who, guess who that substitute was? It was rich strike. So, this race occurred on Saturday night at 7 p.m. Okay. Friday night at 7 p.m. Rich Strike wasn't even supposed to be racing in this race. He was still, he was just, he was like a substitute. He was like, ah, I'll, I'll go if I have to, but you know, eh, whatever. It's okay. It's just a normal day. And then he gets called up to race and it's like, wow, this is crazy. Nobody even heard about this guy. He's now racing in the race. Okay, cool. Well, he's not going to win the race. So we're going to set his odds really high and and because there's no chance that he actually wins. And so just that's kind of the behind the scenes on how this all got started. Right. And, and just, we, we, you, you heard in the media, like 80 to one odds, crazy underdog wins in the Kentucky Derby. Yes. But like, why, what, what does any of that matter? What's the story behind that? That's kind of, you know, all of what I just explained is the true underdog story about this horse who nobody cared about had no shot nobody thought would would even would even you know come close to 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 finishing the race much less winning it just absolutely blazed by every other horse and so that's kind of you know i guess i guess the backstory on it but but obviously um you know that's pretty much i think explains why the odds were so high but also the the just the improbability that it took to win this race there were there were some crazy stats too that i'll point out real quick before i hand it over to hayden here the first is that at top speed rich strike reached a speed miles per hour wise that was two miles per hour 
miles per hour faster than any other horse that even raced in this race. Right. And you're thinking like, what? And it's like, again, these are racehorses. This is what they are bred to do. This is like the only thing. And, and, and he was faster than all the other horses that were supposed to win this race and that had won all their, you know, their stakes races before this. And then secondly, on, on the, on the final turn, right. In the final quarter mile, kind of as that, you know, fourth turn and the thing, Ritz strike was in 15th place. There were 20 horses in the race. This guy was in, oh no, 16th or no. Yeah. I think he was in 15th place and passed 14 horses in a quarter mile, including the two favorites to win the race who ended up coming in second and third. It's just unbelievable what this horse is able to do. And it, and it truly was just one of the most underdog stories that it, it, it can't even be an underdog, right? Because we think of a Cinderella, like, like St. Peter's this year, right? The 15 seed. Oh my gosh, they beat all these teams. They get to the elite eight. Like they have a chance to go to the final four. That's an underdog where you can just be like, it's amazing how they continue to win. Rich Strike isn't even an underdog because nobody thought he would be even, even be in the race. And then when he, when he was in the race, nobody even gave him a chance. So it's like, we weren't talking about this as like, it'd be great if the underdog won. It was just more like, wait, who is this guy? And how did he even get into the race? And now he's winning it on top of having all this other stuff happen just to even get there in the first place. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the backstory on the Kentucky Derby. It was amazing. I know I've talked for like 20 minutes here straight, but uh, I'll get, I'll give it over to Hayden to share his thoughts and kind of, you know, what, what he was thinking about, about this, about this result as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was, it was really crazy. And I, I really like the way that you explained all that because I didn't even really know much about the the races beforehand, um, the the claim races and the stake races or whatever. But I mean, it all it all makes sense now that like Rich Strike was yeah he wasn't even supposed to race in the first place and he ended up racing and then won. It's it, it just goes to show how I don't know. I think in terms of like and this 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 thought popped into my head while Matt was talking, and it may just be super abstract that like. Nobody really knows what I'm talking about, but I would say that like in terms of how humans think about like humans playing sports and I guess humans like running track, like you, if, if you had Usain Bolt, right. Who's like, you know, probably the most famous track runner ever. Um, if you had him go up against like some really underdog person from Poland in the Olympics, like that would never happen. And I, I, and I guess you could make the, the same argument for, horse racing because like in the past like matt said for the kentucky derby there hasn't really been an upset like this in the past like century really and this was the 148th kentucky derby and so yeah it obviously makes sense that a a, a horse that's favored to win would win but like rich strike i i think people are kind of missing the point on like how much of an underdog rich strike was that it's it's literally like putting it's almost like putting like me or Matt out there against against like Usain Bolt and saying like okay yeah you you've got a small chance to win but you're not you're not gonna right um yeah and that's, that's, that's I think that's I kind of what it's like Rich Strike wasn't even really an underdog because nobody was like wow it'd be crazy if this horse won it was just like yeah this horse has absolutely no chance there's no there's no even thought as to the fact yeah. that like there's a possibility of him winning and so that's what makes it so unbelievable is the fact that like Yes, there is an underdog story behind it, but we can't even count it as a real underdog because, like, people weren't actually thinking that this was even possible to to begin with. Yeah, exactly. It's it's he wasn't even an underdog because yeah, he wasn't even really like appraised to to start the race. Yeah, it's 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 crazy that that happened. 
Um, I think the other thing, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is like, is the owners of this horse. Like imagine being them, dude, <laughs> you go to the Kentucky Derby, your horse isn't even supposed to race. And you're, I mean, I don't even really know what they're doing there. Like, I, I guess they're there because their, their horse is there. Yeah. But they probably, I mean, going into the Kentucky Derby, they were there and they were like, okay, we're just going to sit here and watch every other horse race. And our horse isn't even going to get a chance. And then finally it, your horse does get a chance at the final second. And then all in the span of like, I don't know how long the race takes, like a few minutes, all in the span of a few minutes, you are all of a sudden making 1.86 million more dollars than you came there to make. So it's like, that's, that's the crazy part. And like Matt said, a lot of these owners have owned horses in the past that have that have run at the Kentucky Derby or whatever, because what they do with these horses DNA is they, they basically like, they basically, I mean, they obviously breed horses from the, the race horses so that they're, you know, their kids have, or their offspring have the same genes and like are able to race as well as the parents. But also I, th- I think that I heard somewhere that like some, some race horses DNA is basically like frozen and sold to other owners um, that don't already have like the race horses themselves. And so obviously to get the, these horses DNA, since they can be so valuable and since they can win you a $2 million pot um, from the Kentucky Derby, buying these horses DNA is insanely expensive um, already. And then you just go out and you, you know, win more money. Um, So all these guys that like own the horses are already rich and they are already swimming in money anyway. And then they win more money, which is, um, you know, you can think about how that, how you want to, but yeah, that's uh, that's probably all I have to say about the Kentucky Derby, Matt. If if you want to give some more thoughts on it, or if you want to move into Formula One, you can. Well, yeah, just just to talk about the kind of the the, the whole DNA part. Yeah, so obviously, right, you win like two million dollars just to just for winning the Kentucky Derby, and then as Hayden said, he's right. It, it, they're basically these horses are they're actually called studs, and it's so funny because I think that's where like the social network like term stud where you're like oh that guy's a stud like i think this is what that honestly came from is like this is the actual term for it is when a horse is has won a you know a a a, a lot of races or is you know whatever has you know won races or, or kentucky derby whatever they're called a stud and they're basically just for the rest of their life and as i mentioned before these horses are like two years old when they're racing and so for the rest of their actual lives their sole purpose on earth is to just breed and have more baby horses so that potentially, you know, their, their amazing muscular speed DNA is, is in these potential horses that can then basically just replicate what they were able to do. Right. Win a lot of races, win a Kentucky Derby, whatever it may be. And so when you have a horse that wins a race like this, yes, obviously you're going to basically use that horse to breed, you know, other horses for, for the rest of its life. But not only do you win the $2 million from winning the race, but horsing or horse racing in general is such a, it's like people phrase it as the most expensive hobby on earth because, so let's think about it this way. So Rich Strike was obviously right. This horse that nobody cared about, whatever. The owner bought it for $30,000. All right. And so that's a lot of, that's, I mean, that's basically a car. (laughs) Okay. When you think about it. And so that and that that's like the lowest of not the lowest of the low, but you know what I mean, right? Like based yeah. on how we've described it, if you're 
you know, purchasing a thoroughbred racehorse, you know, baby from one of these from one of these past Kentucky Derby winners or whatever. I mean, the the prices on these things can be insane. And so you're making two million dollars just off the winning the Kentucky Derby, but you're making even more money over the life of that horse who won the Kentucky Derby just on basically you know, the trade buying and selling of, of, of the, of the horses that are bred from that Kentucky Derby winner too. So it's, it's really life-changing, especially for these guys who probably, again, they probably won't have, well, maybe they will kind of turn this into an empire, but I doubt that the way that horse racing is, it's very, very niche and hard to get into and hard to win in. So I'm assuming that this is just going to be kind of one of those things that's completely life-changing for the owner and the trainer and the breeder and everything involved and, and probably will, will really, you know, they'll be able to make generational wealth off of it. And Hey, you know, it's, you kind of have the greatest story in the history of horse racing here. So I think it's kind of a win-win all around for, for obviously, you know, kind of the, the casual fans, but also just the, the sport at large. So um, yeah. So just go, just kind of a really cool story. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move into Formula One here. So, Max Verstappen, you if if you know if you follow Formula One at all, you know that Verstappen has been on a tear recently. He has won the past two Grand Prix, so he won in Miami, and then he won the Italian Grand Prix before that. So, yeah, he's just been winning pretty much nonstop um, for the past few weeks, and then he i mean he he's basically the second the second coming of Sebastian Vettel so if sorry Sebastian Vettel <laughs> so if you if you used to follow formula 1 or if you have been for a good while now um you know Sebastian Vettel so Sebastian Vettel raced for Red Bull for 4 years he won the championship 4 years yeah. in a row he then moved to Ferrari for 2 years and was okay there and now he's at Aston Martin and he's been there for the last 3 years so he's still racing and he has been great but it's like obviously the Red Bull car was what made him great and he won the, all the four championships came out of nowhere and now he's kind of middling on you on these middle of the pack teams right he's not, he's not at the top of the pack anymore but when he raced for Red Bull he won four in a row or four championships in a row and so now Max Verstappen is looking like he's gonna do that exact thing um obviously Max Verstappen won the driver's championship last year in a very controversial fashion but he still won it nonetheless um and he happens to race for Red Bull as well so and it's kind of weird because it's like Red Bull was really good with Sebastian Vettel or when Sebastian Vettel was there he made them good and then they were kind of like second-ish to Mercedes for a good while there when um, when Lewis Hamilton and, and Valtteri Bottas were racing for Mercedes and Mercedes was undoubtedly the best car. And then now Mercedes is kind of like third in the pack now behind Ferrari and Red Bull. Um, and Ferrari's always kind of been up there, but they've never really been like the best, the best um, really since I think like the early 2010s when they had uh, when they had Felipe Massa and Fernando Alonso there. That's that that's throwing it back way back to when Matt and I first started following it. Felipe Massa was actually my favorite driver, um, but he obviously doesn't drive anymore. So yeah, I mean, he like if right now in formula one, if you are anybody else in the field, you know, that Max Verstappen is not afraid to do anything. Like the, the moves that he makes during races are insane. And it's, it's very reminiscent of what Sebastian Vettel used to do. That's why I keep on re- referencing Vettel. And I just kind of wanted to point out how like, Verstappen is one of those guys, and we haven't seen this in, a, in in quite a long time. Even with like Lewis Hamilton, how he was, how he used to be really good in, in past years with Mercedes, um, he he was kind of like this, but like we haven't seen it to the point where 
Max Verstappen this year, if he like gets in the lead of a race and if he, you know, if, if he's in first, unless he breaks, unless his car breaks down or something, or he crashes or spins out or something, unless something goes wrong with his car, him as a driver, he's not going to let up first place. He's like, he's basically guaranteed to win unless something happens to his, to his car and unless something out of his control happens. So that's kind of where I want to go here with this conversation. I'll hand it over to Matt to kind of talk about either Max Verstappen or the rest of the field. If he wants to, we are going to talk about Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in a little bit. So I want to save that conversation for a little bit later, but just talking about uh, Max Verstappen and maybe Ferrari too, Matt, where do you like, do you think that Max Max Verstappen is just going to sweep the rest of the season? And I mean, he's still in second technically behind Charles, uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, behind the Ferrari, but I mean, he's, he, he's second in the driver's championship right now. He's won both of the past races. Do you think he's just going to sweep through basically the rest of the whole season and win the driver's championship? No, I don't. I don't think so at all. And it's a good thing that that's like that, because as we've seen over the past eight years, Mercedes has been the, un, the dominant force. They've won everything. Lewis Hamilton's won seven driver's championships and they've won eight straight constructors championships which is essentially just, you know, they've, they've been the best for, for basically the last decade, right? We had Red Bull as kind of this predecessor to Mercedes, to Mercedes, as Hayden mentioned, Sebastian Vettel was their driver from, I think it was 20, I want to say it was like 2010 to 2014. Um, Red Bull won all the constructors championships. Sebastian Vettel won four straight uh, drivers championships and Red Bull had the best car then Mercedes had the best car and they had the best car for the next basically decade. Red Bull was always kind of second in command though. Right. So Red Bull, they would have their drive. Uh, no, Daniel, Daniel Ricardo, he, he now races for McLaren. He used to drive for Red Bull um, kind of along with Sebastian Vettel at some points, you know, at some points not um, they had, you know, they even had Alex Albon. He races for Williams right now. He used to race for, for Red Bull. So a lot of these guys who've kind of come through and whatever, Red Bull was still always second, but they were never able to achieve what Mercedes has had, you know, did and until last year. Now, last year is where, and I went over this in the podcast where I talked about F1, it's like last year was kind of the turning point because coming into this season, the 2022 F1 season, there were drastic rule changes. People were saying these, these rule changes were so significant. That they were basically like the biggest rule changes that we've had in the last like 50 years. Right. And so what happens is every team tries their hardest to develop the car as much as they possibly can in preparation for the F1 season to start. And then it's kind of like balls to the wall. You drive as hard as you possibly can. And you just see who kind of, you know, ends up on top. Now, obviously, for the past 10 years and then the pre four previous years before that, there's kind of been one team that's just dominant. And so they're able to generate a car that's just so good and so much better than the rest, you know, year after year. A lot of rule changes implemented basically just made it more fair but so that there wouldn't be one team dominating the whole time. So that's where I'm going to basically directly answer Hayden's question is that because of the way that the rule changes were implemented, it made it such that not one team is going to get all the money, is going to get all the revenue to then put towards a car that they can put out there that they know is going to be better than everybody else, right? So we, so we want some parity here. We want some other teams to be able to win. And so as Hayden mentioned, the Ferrari is what as actually doing the best right now they're, they're they're winning the constructors championship charles leclerc is still you know 40 points ahead of max in the driver's championship and we haven't seen ferrari be good in basically like 15 20 years now right so 
that's kind of a good thing, I think. And the fact that, you know, we do have other teams winning, obviously there's still, you know, you, you have the Haas team, you have the Williams team, you know, teams at the bottom who really will never have a chance of winning. And so to some extent, Formula One is still very much a, a divided sport, but at least at the top, we're going to get some, some other winners, some other people who are going to be able to compete. Right. And especially for, you know, for the fans or for the, uh, the not the fans of Mercedes, which is what most people are, because you hate to see a dynasty and you just hate to like keep watching the races and have the same people win all the time. Mercedes is actually doing pretty bad compared to basically, you know, what their standard is and what they're yeah. what they're used to. And, and so we end up in a situation where really it's anybody's game. Now, when I say anybody, I, I mean that term obviously it, it relatively because, like I said, you still have a lot of teams at the bottom who really have no shot at winning this, and and even Mercedes at this point really doesn't. So, kind of when when you after the first few races of, of of a season, you can kind of tell what teams and what drivers are going to be at the top here. So, just you know, having followed Formula One for as long as I have, I can pretty much tell you that either Red Bull or Ferrari is going to win the constructors' championship, and it's probably either going to be Charles Charles Leclerc or Max Verstappen who wins the drivers championship. But the point is from all of what Hayden said to begin the, to begin his, his segment with was that, you know, Max looks like this dominant driver who just, you know, he's going to take, Oh, he's going to be that next guy. And I do think that he is currently the best formula one drive driver in the world, right? He, he just is, he just, like Hayden said, if he gets a lead, he's not going to give it up that even, even when Lewis Hamilton was winning six straight championships in a row, like, he had kind of that, or not in a row, yeah. but six overall. Um, he had, you know, would sometimes give up a lead, or, or you know, or or, or get, the car would get loose a little bit. Um, it, it was just, it was just insane what Max was able to do. And I think that a, a good exemplifier of this was this past weekend in Miami, right? It was the first, it was the inaugural Miami Jeep Grand Prix, first time that they're in Miami, you know, racing this race. It's, it's you know, all the stars are there, all the celebrities, whatever. They do practice rounds on Thursday and Friday. They do the qualifying session on Saturday. And then obviously the race, the Grand Prix is on Sunday. In Friday qualifying, Max Verstappen ran four laps compared to every other team, which ran basically like 20 laps. And so if you're at a new course, you've never driven this before, and you don't get any laps in compared to the other people that you're driving with, how are you going to learn the course? How are you going to be able to, to, to actually drive this and, and know that you can feel confident in your ability to actually win this race? It didn't even matter. I mean, are you kidding me? Like Verstappen started third. He passed signs in the first turn. He's in second now. Basically like 20 laps later, he's already in first. And it's like this guy who had no, no, you know, experience on the course at all that didn't know the track really basically is learning the track as he's, you know, basically gaining a second per lap on Charles Leclerc and, and, and not, messing up in, in the slightest and obviously basically right. Never, never giving up the lead. So I, I understand where Hayden's coming from with this kind of, you know, it, it's almost, it almost seems like, yes, we should be asking the question, you know, is Max going to run away with everything? But here's where I caution it is the fact that so far this season, there's been five races. Okay. Three of them. Well, there's been, I think there's been five. There's been four. I think yeah. Been five, four. I think. Yeah. Okay. Five. Yeah. So either way, Max Verstappen has either, in the races that he's finished, he's coming first or he hasn't finished the race at all. Okay. So there's been five races. I think two of them, he didn't finish at all. And three of them he's won. Okay. So like he's on this crazy streak right now where if he starts a race or no, sorry, if he finishes a race, 
he's coming in first. And if he doesn't finish a race, he's coming in last. And so that's like kind of the, the give and take that you get with Max being a, a very you know aggressive driver is that sometimes he's going to go out of his way. And really sometimes it's not going to, it's not going to work out. Now there's also arguments that the team, right? So, you know, the team, they develop the car, they run the car and sometimes the car just fails on the driver. So it's not always the driver's fault. And I think that overall Red Bull has had more, I guess more problems with the car and the team development and whatever than Ferrari has. Ferrari's at least been more stable. And so that's why to answer Hayden's question here finally is I think that no, uh, Max Verstappen is not going to run away and win the driver's championship. Red Bull is not going to run away with the constructor's championship by any means because they kind of still need to figure out this car a little bit before we're going to be talking about anybody winning championships here. So that's kind of your, your Red Bull, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc update. Obviously, Ferrari, Red Bull are the two at the top. Who's missing here? It's Mercedes. Now, obviously, they're third. But we're used to, as I mentioned before, their continued success. They have not looked good at all this season. And so everybody's kind of asking the questions like, why? Like, I mean, you know, they're used to competing for championships every year. They've essentially gone off the grid so far this season. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to make a, a comeback. And honestly, I can tell you they for sure will not, like they will not win the driver's championship or the constructor's championship just based on the points and where we're at right now so far. So I'm going to hand it over to Hayden here. Give a, give a little rundown on the car mechanics uh, that have been causing Mercedes trouble with this year's new car regulations and kind of, you know, what's been impacting them. Why, why is Mercedes not able to compete this year? Yeah, so I'm going to give a little Matthew-esque rundown of, of the history there we of, go. of something, that's, something that's going down this year. So basically, in 1989, it's crazy to think that – I actually, no, 1982, sorry. I'm already off to a bad start here. 1982, <laughs> um, the, the ground effect physics of a car – was banned. So basically what the ground effect is, is I'm, I'm not a physics major by any means. I hate physics with a passion, but I read up on it. And basically what the engineers of Formula One cars did back in, I think, 1979 with um, Mario Andretti's car was they created, created something called the ground effect, which essentially it's like an aerodynamic. Um, it's an aerodynamic strategy used to, pretty much like stick the car to the track more. So you get more grip on the track. Um, your cars, I, I guess like your tires are more receptive to the track because I mean, formula, formula one cars are really, really light. Like if you, if you compare them to the average car, like the Honda that you're driving down the street on any given day, formula one cars are super, super light. That's how they're able to go so fast. Um, and you know, for at, at such high speeds for so long, um, but they do have to have some kind of engineered ability to stay grounded to the track. That's what the front wing does a lot. Is like it basically the front wing of the of the of the Formula One car, which is kind of that little broad piece at the bottom of the front of the car in front of the front wheels. That's what keeps your car grounded mostly, um, and that's what keeps your car from basically just like flying up in the air as um, as you drive down a straightaway. So what the ground effect did was it added something to the bottom of the car to keep the car stuck to the track more. So you would have more reception in your tires to the track. And so that you could basically, you basically had better turning, you had better, like better control of your car on the track. And so that was banned in 1982, but this year, literally just this year in 2022. So 40 years later, they have added it back. So you're, you're now allowed to engineer ground, the ground effect into your car again. And that's where 
Mercedes has had their downfall, right? So Mercedes, and it's interesting because like Mercedes for the past, like we said, for the past eight to 10 years, they've been the best at engineering their car. Like they've, they've just had the best engineers, the best guys that, that are able to get done in the garage. And so they've had the best success on the track, obviously Lewis, having Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, both very great drivers for that span of time that helped them a lot too. But I mean, you can be the greatest driver in the world and you can drive a really terrible car and you're not going to win. Right. So that's where we've seen Mercedes have so much of their success. And in this season, they've fallen off a cliff because of the new ground effect. So apparently every other, I guess every other team is doing really well with adding the ground, the ground effect back to their cars, um, except for Mercedes. So Mercedes is having this, this problem called purposing, which I don't, it, it's a little bit of a weird name, but it's basically where like on the straightaway of a track, Mercedes car is bouncing up and down off of like it, their little bounces, but it, the bouncing of the car up and down off the track um, is a lot more than every other car or every other model of car that's out there. Um, so if you look at Red Bull and again, you probably can't really see this much on, if you're actually watching the race. Um, but like, if you watch it in slow motion, if you watch it really closely, I bet you can probably see Red Bull and Ferrari. Those cars are not bouncing up and down off the ground as much as, as Mercedes is. And so that's where, um, that's where the problem is stemming from. And so I think Lewis Hamilton has been interviewed about it a lot. And he's, he's basically said, like he's, he said in the past that Mercedes doesn't make mistakes. Like that's what he said when he was on his great tear where he, you know, won so many uh, uh, drivers championships in a row. He was saying, Oh, well, Mercedes can't make a mistake. We're the best in the game. And then now (laughs) he's basically gone back on his word. And he was like, I guess we can. I think in an interview, he literally said, I guess we can make mistakes or something like he was like, I guess something has gone wrong, but he, I mean, he can't really describe it. He's basically just saying purposing is, is the main problem at hand. And so what we're faced with here is like Lewis Hamilton, one of the best formula one drivers in the history of formula one and who has had some temper problems in the past um, is, is not very happy, but he's, I think he's kind of like, he's taking a cool approach to the situation. I think he knows that since like, since he knows what the problem is um, they obviously know what to address. And so, I guess sometime in the near future, they're going to try to fix this whole ground effect per poising situation. Um, but that's where Mercedes is at. That's, that's why they are not doing as well this season. That's why you're seeing them kind of third in the pack in terms of being the best car. Again, third in the pack isn't really that bad because there's, there's 10 different makes of cars, you know, in formula one. And so being third isn't even that bad, but it's just that, we've seen them be so good and we've seen them be first for so long that it's a little bit weird to see them just, you know, automatically drop so far below uh, Ferrari and Red Bull. And so this brings us to kind of like where Lewis Hamilton is at, because if you haven't noticed, Lewis Hamilton is, I think he's sixth in the driver's champ or in the driver's standings right now. And George Russell, his teammate who, Nobody has even really heard of before the past couple of years. I don't even know how long George Russell has been um, been racing, but like Lewis Hamilton is obviously a better driver than George Russell, but Lewis Hamilton is still doing worse than George Russell. George Russell is fourth currently 
um, in the standings. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here to kind of talk about where he thinks Lewis Hamilton is at. I have a little bit of a theory here of, of why Hamilton is off, but I wanted to, I wanted to see what Matt has um, in terms of like an, an opinion on Lewis Hamilton this season. Yeah. So just to clear up the, the porpoising it's good. It's pronounced porpoising and it's like that for a reason is because basically, I mean, I, I don't know why it's not, it's like, obviously we think of him as like dolphins, but like, it's like an animal, like a porpoise in the sea, right. Who like goes back and forth up and down, basically he's going like, you know, the front end back end or switching back and forth, hitting the ground, whatever. So that's why it's called porpoising because the car is essentially just like going back and forth in a mimicked motion of a porpoise basically, which is, I don't know, it's a little, it's a little weird, but whatever. Um, and, and the main cause of this is that, Obviously, as Hayden mentioned, they changed the downforce rules. And so downforce is essentially how much how much pressure, how much G's you can put on a car to be able to brake and speed up quickly as possible. And you put a floor underneath the car, a lot of times you're going to run into a problem where the front end is going to, you know, is going to bounce a lot more and, and the back end as well. And so that's kind of what is happening here. And as Hayden, you know, Hayden, Hayden mentioned it specifically is that Mercedes is struggling with this the most. And so it almost makes it impossible to drive because you're just bouncing up and down like at, at, at insane speeds. Again, these guys are going 200 miles an hour. Right. And it's like, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to drive and we're porpoising all the all down the road. So yeah. So to answer Hayden's question though, and I th- I'm interested to see what his theory on this is, because I think we might be on the same track here is that, well, background on George Russell first, he drove for Williams for the past, I don't know, five, six, five or six years. And Williams is basically has been the worst team in formula one for the last, like probably eight or nine years, maybe even 10 years. Uh, they, the weird part is though, they're basically like the feeder system to Mercedes. So obviously they get less money and resources than Mercedes does, but, but the drivers who race for Williams are basically like, kind of like the teammates of the Mercedes or like kind of the, 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 the one a version of Mercedes. And so George Russell has been driving for Williams for the last like five or six years. He's coming last pretty much every, you know, every year coming up until now, but he, they see him as this great young driver and he's going to have a great, uh, you know, a great, a great future in formula one. And so they were kind of just grooming him to take over uh, in the next available Mercedes car, which obviously happened when, you know, they couldn't agree to terms with Valtteri Botas. And then they kind of move on to, to George Russell here and kind of promote him from Williams to Mercedes. And so what we've seen is basically George Russell outperforming Lewis Hamilton, which as Hayden mentioned, like, who, who would ever think that someone would be, would be outperforming Lewis Hamilton, especially on his own team, especially a driver who's been here, who's been in Formula One for less time than him. I'm going to say that it's because George Russell basically has been dealing with the worst possible car in Formula One for the past, like, ever since he's been driving. Now that he's in a car that's actually, like, competing at the top he's like oh my gosh this is so much better i don't care about the porpoising like all the other problems that are wrong with the car like obviously we're not competing for championships right now but i'm not coming in last anymore i actually have a chance and so he by competing in a car that was so bad for so long has basically just been able to deal with a car that has constant problems so that when he gets to a good car that has a little bit of problems, he's able to deal with those even better because he's just used to having way more problems than he is right now. Whereas you have someone who like Lewis Hamilton, who for the past decade of his life, and even, even before Mercedes or uh, Lewis Hamilton got to Mercedes, he drove for McLaren and McLaren. He won a cha- He won a driver's championship. I think he's still like the youngest 
driver to ever win the driver's championship. And he won it with McLaren. Jensen Button won a championship with McLaren. So Lewis Hamilton's always been in a good car. That's his entire career. And obviously he's arguably, you know, one of the best drivers in Formula One drivers ever. So yeah, he's he's an amazing driver. But I think that this year, particularly, you just end up with this weird, you know, weird combination of Lewis Hamilton, who's been used to winning every single year for the past, you know, 15 years, his entire career, finally faced with a car that struggles a lot. And he's not able to really, you know, get used to that car or do as much with that car as he would normally be when the car is just kind of perfect. And so you then you have a, a driver like George Russell, who's very young and very scrappy and who's been driving in a terrible car for the last his entire career, you know, six or seven years now, you know he's able to adjust better. I think it's all about adjustments. It's all about facing adversity and being able to overcome that. So that's my answer as to why George Russell's not performing Lewis Hamilton. I don't think that this will last. I think that across the, you know, the rest of the season, Mercedes, as well as Lewis Hamilton specifically, will figure out the car. They'll get the porpoising thing under control. He'll be able to work better with it and he'll improve as we go on. We're just seeing him struggle. Like, you know, we're seeing him struggle for the first time in his entire career, right? I mean, you know, if you stick Tom Brady on the Jets, they're not going to win the Super Bowl, right? So, like, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Um, obviously, you know, we're not, I'm not comparing Mercedes dominant performance to the Jets lackluster performance for the past, you know, 10 years. But anyway, you, you get the point. Uh, you know, it's hard to, once you're the best in the world and have the best equipment in the world, to basically go to nothing and then basically, you know, be expected to perform, perform at, the, at the same level that you were before. So Hamilton will figure this out, but that is my reasoning as to why George Russell is outperforming him right now. Hayden, what do you think? Yeah, you were totally right. We we have we are on the same wavelength. I totally think that that's the that's the reason why. And it's called hard work fails to beat talent when talent fails to work hard. We've we've heard that saying so many times. And you may not. I mean, you may say like, okay, well, all these drivers are talented, but we all know that Lewis Hamilton is more talented than George Russell. I think he is. I mean, I may be wrong because again, we haven't seen George Russell with a good car until this point and like since he's gotten in a good car he hasn't been anything except for better than lewis hamilton right so that's i that's where we're at right now uh, matt put it perfectly i mean I, I think that we'll see lewis hamilton kind of start to to find his way a little bit um start to gather his his footing but i think it's just really interesting that that george russell is is doing so well with mercedes again um it's a little bit weird to see a guy switch from Williams all the way up to Mercedes and make that big of a jump in formula one. Um, but again, like all these guys are talented. Um, we, we obviously see that George Russell has what it takes to race with Mercedes. And I think that if they do get this, this purposing, uh, I, uh, yeah, per poising, <laughs> I pronounced it wrong the whole time, You're but close. Hey, I, I was doing my best. So uh, yeah, but if, if, if they do find a way to, figure this whole thing out and, and compete with, with the top dogs, Red Bull and Ferrari sometime soon. I do think that like in terms of having two drivers that are really, really good and, and almost equal in, in terms of um, in terms of like what they've put out on, on the, on the track so far this season, I think we're going to really see Mercedes again, like Matt said, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to make a run for the Con- constructors championship or, neither of their drivers are going to make a run for the driver's championship this season. But I think like by next season, hopefully they'll have it figured out um, and they'll have enough, I guess, practice with it to the point where they can 
finally compete with with the other um with the other cars in terms of this new this whole new ground effect thing that's been brought back after 40 years so yeah like it, when i'm thinking about red bull i mean sergio perez is a great driver he's been driving for ever i mean i i remember when he was on like force india and stuff with uh with i'll oh, do what, what was his name it was uh dang it dude it, it was like the netherlands dude or not netherlands yeah i think i think it was a driver from netherlands but i don't know Nico hulkenberg he's from germany yeah 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 yeah. nico hulkenberg yeah um actually nico hulkenberg was a driver for mercedes as well when right when or no mclaren mclaren right yeah one of those yeah mclaren with uh Maybe it was Jensen Button. I don't even know. But yeah. So Sergio Perez is one of those guys that I think of when it's like, yeah, he's and he might be just overshadowed totally by Verstappen, who, like Matt said, is probably, you know, the undisputed best driver in Formula One right now. But I don't know. Like when I when I look at Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, and then I look at George Russell and Lewis Hamilton with a, an improved car, like George Russell is doing pretty well with a with a with a messed up car right now right and so like if they have an improved car that duo is going to be really really good i think um and again it's just surprising because george russell came from a team like williams but just goes to show that you know all all these guys have what it takes you just got to give them a good car and that that is another thing it's like this is a perfect example like this pipeline from uh george russell going from williams to mercedes and having so much success already at, at Mercedes that just goes to show that like, if you had equal cars in formula one, it would be such a better game. Like it, it would, it would just be such a better sport in general. If you had equal cars again, that's, that's what these regulations are intending to do is to make the cars more equal because you can't say, okay, well, like, you know, Mercedes, you can't go out and guess the, get the best engineers out there. It's obvious. Like it's still a business. You're still hiring guys that are, good at engineering and you know guys that that you're hiring the best of the best in terms of car engineers around the world and you can't stop mercedes and red bull and 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 ferrari from doing that to give the guy the the i guess like the worst teams a better chance but these regulations that are being being implemented i guess it's it's showing that it it can you know take down a top dog like mercedes but like mercedes is going to figure it out at some point and so it's just going to kind of keep on exploiting this, this like dynamic of the teams that have the best engineers are going to be at the top always. And the teams that are, that don't have the best engineers are never really going to make it there. And they're not really going to be able to compete in any way. But again, I don't know. I don't know how you fix that without taking the whole business side out of it and pretty much just assigning like one model of car to every team and then have them race that way. Maybe they can try that in one of like the F2 or F2 or F3 um, leagues, formula, formula two and formula three are a thing. That's like where most of the formula one drivers come up through. Um, Like Matt said, it's, it's, it's almost like horse racing and and NBA and baseball and everything like that. They have like the, the smaller minor leagues and then they have formula one as the big league, but yeah, maybe they can try it in formula two or formula three, but I don't know. It's just, it's a little bit frustrating. Like Matt said, nobody likes seeing a, you know, a huge dynasty um, from any team, but it is, it is kind of cool to see. Um, I, it, it's kind of cool to see Max Verstappen on this tear now that Lewis Hamilton is not winning every race. So I don't know that that's my thoughts on it. Matt, do you have anything, anything else to say? 
Yeah, and I kind of understand what you're saying. It's 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 really interesting though because if you think about it, like kind of when you were talking about, it, I was like, well. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So Ferrari was like had the dynasty from like the late 1990s to like the late 2000s before 2010, right? So like 2008 is whatever. And you had Michael Schumacher as obviously you know the best foot Formula One driver of all time, won all these championships. Okay, cool. Uh, and his teammate, do you remember the teammate's name, Hayden? Rubens Barrichello. Oh wow. Okay, it's throwing it way back. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so and then Felipe Massa actually drove with Michael Schumacher for the back, back part of his his career at Ferrari. Anyway, Ferrari basically had the dynasty for like 10 years there. Okay. Then you move on, it's Red Bull for the next, you know, six, seven-ish years. Then you move on, it's been Mercedes for the last 10 years. Okay, so there is some sort of shift in power eventually you and you have teams who like mercedes back when you know basically like when when red bull had their kind of big run mercedes was like middle of the pack they were coming in like eighth tenth place whatever you get to the rule change that entered in you know 2015 or whatever it was and they just shot to the top and they just they developed the best car and then from then on they got the most money they've hired the best engineers and it's just you know kind of a snowball effect and so eventually you kind of see a shift in power and we are right now which is mercedes is not not on top anymore however who are the best two cars as well it's ferrari and it's red bull yeah and so these are the cars that have been good in the past as well and so when you talk about you know the team and the drivers who are automatically going to win yeah a lot of times it can be the same or it can be different and it'll change over time but really i think what we're experiencing in formula one is just sustained success from three of the best teams in the history of you know the sport well recent history of the sport williams actually used to be the best and you know then you had renault renault was really good in the the late late 2000s so like there's been other teams who are who are very successful but for the last you know 20 you know, almost 25 years ish, almost 30 years, it's been the, it's been these three teams who are the best. And so I think that's kind of where big picture, I I agree with Hayden's statements about like, you know, somehow they're going to have to try to make this a little bit more even, but I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I think if you get the best drivers and the best cars, it's going to be a, a, you know, a race for, for whoever's going to be coming out on top anyway. Like, like I said, Max Verstappen is the best driver in Formula One right now, right? Lewis Hamilton's an amazing driver. Charles Leclerc is an amazing driver. If you put them on bad teams, they're also going to perform badly. But I think that they're clearly proven like as the best drivers. And so they're at the best cars for a reason. And so I think kind of what we have to do is essentially just like kind of, you know, enjoy what we have. But, but I think, yeah, to the larger point to Hayden, what Hayden was saying is like, whether there's rule changes or whatever, it's like, yes, we've had some parity, but the parity is really year to year depends on who wins the championship. It's not necessarily like other teams coming from being the worst and then, you know, becoming the best. Like obviously in other sports, there are dynasties, right? Like the Patriots for the 20 years that, that Brady and Belichick were together, you know, you had in the NBA, the Spurs with Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, you know, Tony Parker, that team was good for 15 years and they made the playoff. They, they had the longest, you know, streak of making the playoffs every year. So like you have dynasties in other sports, but it's not dynasties that are like 30 years long and they're winning the championship every, every single year. The Suns are a perfect example, right? They go to the bubble. They're eight and zero in the bubble. They still they don't even make the playoffs. The very next year, they come back and they're in the finals and they lose and they're up two zero in the finals and they lose to the Bucks and then they're they're you know the favorite to win the finals this year. Like a team that didn't make the playoffs to then basically you know having a 90% chance to win the finals in the very next year. Like that's never going to happen in formula one. It's just kind of, that's how the sport goes. And that's, I feel like all motorsports are kind of similar to that too. I mean, even think about NASCAR, like 
the bottom driver NASCAR has more parity just because there's more drivers and the tracks are more open. But like Corey LaJoy is not going to win a NASCAR race every year or every race. All right. It's going to be like your classics, your Kevin Harvick, uh, you know, Chase, or, um, what's his face? Uh, see, I don't even know NASCAR well enough to actually rattle. Yeah. Kyle Larson, he won like every race last year, right? So like you still have this type of like in motorsports, you're going to have teams and drivers who are really good. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes your, your, your Tony Gillilands are not going to win for you in a NASCAR race every year. You like this, Hayden, I'm just rattling off your not well-known NASCAR drivers. Yeah. Ty Gibbs. T- yeah. What? No, I don't. I don't do. I don't know anything about NASCAR yeah. anymore. I a, yeah. I used to watch. We used to watch NASCAR sort of when we were when we were little with our dad. But yeah, I like now that Formula One has been introduced to me. It's Formula One is so much better than NASCAR. Like I don't know. I look at NASCAR fans now, and again, I don't. I think I have one friend that actually follows NASCAR and actually likes it. And I look at them and I'm like, dude, I don't know. Again, it's their choice. This is fine. It's their life. They can do what they want. But like, I don't know how you choose to follow NASCAR over Formula One. Formula One is international. The tracks are much cooler. You're not just driving in a circle for three hours. Um, There's, you know, less laps. Obviously, the the tracks are longer in Formula One. But it's just like, yeah, there's, there's, there's more excitement in it. The cars are cooler looking, in my opinion. I mean, NASCARs are like boxes on a track, and they're on wheels. It doesn't make any sense, but again, that's you know, it, everybody has their has their their sport that they follow. But yeah, that about wraps it up for today's episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, we honestly we got to a, a good hour here with just talking about horse racing and Formula One. If there's anybody that can do that, it's us. So. Um, yeah, that was, that was that was some good stuff today. We're not going to talk about NBA or NHL playoffs today because, well, NHL playoffs, it's like basically by Saturday, we'll probably have some series that are over. Yeah, so, all the series are 2-2 right now. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there's not really much to talk about. We could just point out the series that are more interesting than others and, and say, well, those are more interesting, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to wait until Saturday slash Sunday. I don't know which day it'll be on probably Saturday. We're going to wait until one of those days um, to talk about the series. Actually, I am going on my cruise on Saturday, so we will probably do an episode. We'll record an episode on, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, probably Friday, and then we'll post it on Saturday. I'll probably just have Matt post it. I'll edit it and everything and just have him post it. Um, And so we'll have that on Saturday. And then next Tuesday, you guys will hear from probably just Matt. Not probably. You guys will just hear from Matt if he – wants to do one of his solo dolo episodes again oh you know it yeah (laughs) his his hour-long episode of just non-stop talking not drinking any water nothing better lips are probably white after it but um (laughs) yeah okay but but the funny thing is and me and Hayden joke about this all the time that one tuesday episode i did by myself i again i recorded it i didn't i didn't want to mess up the editing or whatever so i talked for literally an hour straight i didn't take a sip of water at all my jaw was like I got like lockjaw from like recording this podcast, right? I post it. It's by far in a way the best episode that we've ever released in terms of like listens, downloads, all that. I don't know what I did. Hayden doesn't know what I did. Yeah. I somehow did it and it's like the best episode that we've ever posted. And so I can at least say that. Yeah. And he he was it, like the stuff that he talked about was really just current NFL stuff. Yeah. Like it wasn't a it wasn't a big overview episode of, you know, like a state of the game episode. Or anything like that. It was just talking about like 
the Buccaneers and the Cardinals not playing well. <laughs> I don't like know, but it was transfer portal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was cool to see that though. So let, I mean, we'll see if that happens again. If it does happen again, maybe I'll just not do the podcast anymore. Maybe I can just do it on his own. I don't know. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I could just edit them. Honestly, that that'd be cool, kind of cool. But um, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave the podcast for that. But uh, anyway, yeah, we're gonna skate on out of here. Um, you will be hearing from us on Saturday. We will definitely release it Saturday because we'll have it recorded on fr- Thursday slash Friday. And we'll be talking some NBA and NHL, maybe add a little uh, little spice in there with some other sport, but I don't know yet. But that's for you guys to find out on Saturday. So that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of the week and we'll see you Saturday. <laughs>